We are um, concluding, or we're, we're, we're nearing the conclusion of our conversation. We've been um, in for several weeks since Easter. We've been looking at the the, um, the book of Exodus because what we've been learning there is that God is a God who um, whose nature is to help people out of difficult circumstances. The um, the word Exodus itself means the road out, and it describes the way God has has uh, seen over has overseen the process whereby the um, Israelites leave Egypt, that they leave the land of slavery and uh, travel to the to, to the Promised Land. So that's what we've been looking at. And over the last several weeks, what we've seen is that God has increased the pressure on Pharaoh until finally um, Pharaoh was willing to let the Israelites go free. So that's the place we've been coming from. And what we've what we've seen is that is that now that has happened when when Pharaoh changed his mind and and uh, decided not to let them go free after all and chased after them, uh, uh, God created a, a new way out for them. God created a, a, an escape hatch by allowing them to travel through the Sea of Reeds um, on dry land. So, so we looked at that last week, um, but but it has worked. They are free. They they are irrevocably and permanently free from. Egypt. They will never go back to Egypt. And so that is, you know, you can read through the whole rest of the Hebrew scriptures. They're done with Egypt. Uh, but their problems aren't over. They have, they have, in a sense, they have jumped from the frying pan into a fire. And they haven't yet learned what kind of fire they've jumped into. And, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can say, I remember the time when, when I jumped out of the frying pan and I found myself in a fire. And, you know, that, that, that kind of worked out. Or maybe, um, I think in a lot of ways, uh, that is the, the, the governing metaphor for the past year for us. You know, the, the people who study pandemics and so forth, they looked at the, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus and they said, this thing is, is nothing we can ignore. We need to pay attention to this thing. And so as they began to look at, um, uh, infection rates and so forth, they said, we need to jump out of this particular frying pan. And so they did that. And we, we've, we've acted in ways that were previously unprecedented because the frying pan was intolerable. Like slavery in Egypt, so was the, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. And so, so that's the, the place, um, that we've been in as a nation. And, and we are still in the process of evaluating how bad of a fire we have jumped into. I mean, in, in a sense, we didn't have a choice, but, but that doesn't mean we're not in tr- you know, that we're out of the woods yet, that there are still problems that, that have to be resolved because of it. So, so we have jumped out of the frying pan into the fire as well. And so if you think about some of the things we've, we've been doing, you know, uh, uh, the, the quarantine, uh, locking down um, the, the country last year and to a lesser extent in, in different ways still today, people working online. There's been a lot of changes we made. People who don't have, who don't have um, online capable jobs have found that they don't have as much work to do. And so people have lost their jobs. Businesses have closed. There have been costs associated with this. It's not like you just jump out of the frying pan and have no problems. Um, In the same way, there's been things that have been... um, uh, amazing advances. The the vaccines. We've had vaccines for uh, almost uh, what late 1700s. That's when the smallpox vaccine was developed. And the the Chinese had inoculations, which are related to vaccines. They had that back in the 1400s. So vaccines have been around a long time. But one of the amazing things over the past year is they have developed an mRNA vaccine. And I don't understand biology, but what I understand it's it has the potential to be a game changer. It could really advance medical science a great degree. Um, 
but we don't know. We're still in the process of figuring these things out. So, um, so we are, we are figuring out how big of a fire we have jumped, um, into because we had to get out of the frying pan. If you think about, um, masks, um, I, I have concerns about masks. Uh, you're all wearing them, um, uh, and and so do I. When I'm not preaching, that that uh, we've been we've been guided by the experts, and despite whatever our personal reservations are about masks, we've gone along because that's what the people who are supposed to know these things are telling us to do. So we've been doing that as a church. We've been doing that as a council. And one of the things we'll be evaluating uh, uh, presently is how to respond to the latest changes as the mask policies have loosened up. So we're figuring this stuff out. Um, but none of us, I don't think, believe that masks are, are utterly free. Uh, if nothing else, they have certainly become a tribal marker. So you can you can get a, a first guess at somebody's politics by their policy about masking. And that's unfortunate because masking should be a scientific and medical decision. And it has kind of crept out of that. I have concerns as a pastor. I have concerns about covering the face generally because my concern is it dehumanizes us. It is it is something where we tend to see people as less human when we can't see their face. Now, I don't know that, but but that's my suspicion. And as a pastor, it reminds me uh, a little more than I would like of the way that in the New Testament we see that lepers were excluded from the the people that they were they were seen as as those others you know the ones that had to stay away and i think that's one of the problems with masking but again we jump out of the frying pan we don't know what the cost is we don't know how bad the fire is we just know it's intolerable for us in the frying pan and so we're trying to figure out how do we move forward from here and that is the situation that israel is in in our in our reading as we pick up the story in chapter 15 they have left Egypt. They're, they're gone from Egypt permanently, but they are now in the Sinai Desert. So where are they? Um, if you weren't here last week, we talked more about where they're at, but, but we know generally the, the broad area they're in. You can see that they're in kind of the southeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. They're, they're between Egypt and the Promised Land. They've left Egypt, and so we're going to zoom in on that area right there and look off to the, toward the Promised Land. So, so this is the perspective we would have if we were over them you know, 3,000 years ago. But the problem is we don't know all the place names they mentioned. So they tell us about deserts like Shin and Sin and Elim, Ashur and Sin and Elim. And so we don't know really where those are. Um, and the same way, we don't know where they started. We don't know. Last week we talked about the, the Sea of Reeds. Um, there's a bunch of candidates for that, and scholars debate which one it is. We know that later on in the in the story of the Exodus, they will wind up at Mount Sinai. And traditionally, people thought that Mount Sinai was at the southern end of the Sinai Peninsula. But um, and there's like a monastery there. The the Arabs the Arab name for this mountain is uh, Jebel Musa, which is the mountain of Moses. So there's there's certainly a, a strong set of uh, uh, advocates for that position. But other scholars tell us that there are there are uh, other good candidates for what was Mount Sinai all over the the, the near Middle East. So, um, so ultimately we don't know where they are. We don't know the specific geographic location we are, but we know where they are. They have jumped out of the frying pan that is Egypt, and they are in a fire somewhere where that arrow is. We, you know, the specific location doesn't matter as much. And when when they get there, we see that they have a problem. It's been three days since they filled up their canteens. And so they are in the desert and they have no water. Now, 
I will tell you, I have read through the Hebrew Scriptures several times, and, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the things that, that I find myself thinking as I read the Hebrew Scriptures is, what is it with you people? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? How could you possibly, um, how could you possibly have God guide you th- out of Egypt through through the plagues and and through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds? Excuse me, through the Sea of Reeds and and have any doubt that God can take care of you the rest of the way? Right? How could you possibly doubt this? But but in this one case, because they are in the desert, I will actually um, say, you know what? In this case, I actually understand. I think I understand what's going on because I grew up in the desert. I grew up in New Mexico. Southern New Mexico is part of what's called the Chihuahuan Desert, and it's a genuine desert. They got scorpions and cactuses and sand dunes. I mean, it's a real desert, um, as 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 much of a desert as anything you might want. And then uh, later on, we lived in a place called um, Yucca Valley, which is um, in the Mojave Desert. It's in it's in the Mojave Desert, and it looks like this, and it's got um, Joshua trees. In fact, we live just a couple of miles from Joshua Tree National Park. It is a genuine desert, and we were in the garden spot of the Mojave Desert. If you went a couple of hours to the north of us in in uh, the Mojave Desert, you get to a place called called um, Death Valley. Have you ever wondered why do they call it that? It's because <laughs> deserts are serious places. When we live near Joshua Tree, every year. Do you have an answer? There's a lot of there. You are correct. It is it is a it is a desert and deserts are serious places and in fact when we lived in Joshua Tree every single year there would be people who died. There'd be hikers who came out from Los Angeles or or from the Inland Empire and they would they would go out to Joshua Tree and a couple of them would die year after year. They their car would break down or they would decide that you know Let's go out and go for a hike or something, and they wouldn't be prepared, and they would they would get um, sunstroke, and then they would die, and it would happen year after year. Deserts are serious places. Do not go into a desert lightly. So, so when I read about the story um, of, of these people, I, I understand. Um, back even back in New Mexico, where the desert isn't as as severe as in uh, California, um, we had we had a we had a part of the state of New Mexico is called Yonada del Muerto. So here's a Spanish word for you. It comes from the 1500s. The the Spanish conquistador um, Coronado was looking for the seven cities of gold. Somebody had told him that if he just went far enough north that he would find the seven cities of gold. And remember, they'd already stolen all the Aztec gold, and they thought, hey, there's still more. Let's go get that. And so he was going up the Rio Grande, traveling along the Rio Grande, and um, he said, I'm going to take a shortcut. Because the, the river goes that way, and I want to go north. And so he took a shortcut straight north, and about a hundred miles later, the ones who survived, they, they found the river again, because the river bent back toward them. And they said, that place we just came from, the last hundred miles, that is the journey of a dead man, the Yornado del Muerto. So deserts are serious places. Do not go lightly into a desert. So when when the Israelites start complaining about water, I sympathize with them. Yes, Silas, another question. What's up? Okay, it's an observation? Okay. But there are different types of deserts. There are. There are all kinds of deserts. Yes? Okay. All right, we are totally interactive today. So, uh, Amelia, go ahead and throw in your, your observation, too. I'm sorry, tundra? Okay, 
Um, we're starting to get a little bit of field, but certainly um, uh, there are places that are dangerous besides deserts. Um, and uh, there are cold deserts. So sometimes you'll hear about a cold desert. So um, the place we lived was kind of like that. So deserts are serious places. And um, uh, <clears throat> by the way, grown-ups are allowed to do this too. So, um, so, and if, if all you can if all you can come up with is an amen, that's okay too. So, all right. Um, so the the Israelites are are um, worried they're anxious they they it's been three days since they last filled up their canteen and they are anxious and I actually understand that deserts are serious places so they come to Mara they finally find an uh, an oasis thank goodness we are at an, at an oasis but oops bad oasis they they couldn't drink Mara's water because it was bitter so that's why it was called Mara Mara means bitter and the people complained against Moses what will we drink you know, do you have a solution for that smart guy? What's the solution for our water problem? And so Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord pointed out a tree to him. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So um, my guess is that's some kind of a miracle. Uh, there's there's stories, you know, if you read enough commentaries on this kind of thing, there'll be some theory that it was a particular kind of tree. But um, ultimately, uh, it is um, he was guided to that tree, or the tree itself had some miraculous property. The water is sweet. They're able to get their water. They're able to refill their, their canteens. And that gets them to the next oasis, which is Elim. And it's a much better oasis. There's 12 springs of water there and 70 palm trees. So they camp there by the water. So problem solved. They, they jumped out of the frying pan that is Egypt. They're in the fire, but this isn't so bad. Okay, we can, we can get through this. We can survive. But then after a month, they set out again. So they set out on the 15th day of the second month. They, they left on the Passover, which is the, the 15th of the 15th day of the first month. And now it's the 15th day of the second month. So it's been a month. Um, and, uh, they've got water. So they're not, they're not beside themselves with anxiety. But, you know, during the past 30 days, they have come across exactly zero grocery stores. So, so, so they're starting to think, you know what? <laughs> We, we packed up everything we had back in Egypt, but we didn't have all that much. So, so, uh, they complain against uh, Moses and Aaron in the desert. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And, and they say to them, uh, with the, with the beauty of a selective memory, they say, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us uh, to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. How how good it would have been to just grow old and die the normal way back in good old Egypt. You know, Egypt, you know, the place of the slavery and the infanticide, good old Egypt. What's so good about Egypt? I, I want to go back to the frying pan. Why would you want to go back to the frying pan? Well, they say, there we could sit by pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. This, this nostalgic view of, of, um, slavery. You know, it wasn't so bad. You know, really? You know, we had food and we had food. And so, so they're, they're kind of thinking back. Those were the good old days back in Egypt. And, and again, you know, I haven't been hungry. I haven't been a month without hitting a grocery store. So, um, you know, who am I to complain, right? You know, I, I get that. And memory can be selective. We all, you know, 
just out of curiosity, I see, I see some people my age in here. So, um, how many of us have been told, okay, boomer? Over the last couple of months. So, 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 you know, people will tell us, you know, it probably wasn't as good as you remember it. So, so I understand that. But then they go a step too far, right? You know, selective memory is one thing, but they question God's motives. They say, you brought us out into this desert to starve the whole assembly to death. This was your nefarious plot that all you wanted to do is to get us away from good old slavery and take us out here to die in the desert. They question God's motives. And that is too much. And so Moses and um, Aaron tell them that's that's too much. They say, the Lord has heard the complaints you made against him. You made them against him. You didn't make them against us. All we've been doing for the last you know 15 chapters is following where God is guiding us. So, you know, your problem is not with us. We've just been doing what God said. Your problems are against the Lord. But what's amazing is that is that God agrees, but but God says to Moses, despite that, I've heard your complaints. I've heard your complaints. You were complaining about bread. You were complaining about, about meat. I'm going to solve that problem for you. I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. And that evening, a flock of quail flew down and covered the camp. And the word for covered here is the same word. If you go back and, and reread the stories of the, the plagues of Egypt, it talks about how the land was covered with frogs and it was covered with locusts. It was, you know, knee deep in quail. And so they have not just quail, they've got more quail than they could possibly know what to do with. So uh, they have plenty of meat. And in the morning, as I mentioned to the children, there's a layer of dew all over the, the camp and when the layer of dew lifted, there were thin flakes as thin as frost on the ground. So, so God has provided for them this food, that they have um, food and they have all they can eat. Um, they are told, this is what the Lord has commanded. Collect as much of it as each of you can eat. We've heard about how you get your fill of food. You eat as much as you can. You get an omer per person. You may collect for the number of people in your household. So as I mentioned to the children, I looked up the word Omer, and the only the only sure measure is that it's a tenth of an ephah. So what's a tenth of an ephah? Well, it happens to be the same as a, a 43 eggshells. Now, <laughs> we don't use eggshells anymore, but if you're curious, it's uh, it's about 43 eggshells worth of manna. Um, and as I said, it's probably about half a gallon or about three pounds, depending on how you measure it, uh, uh, volume or, or uh, weight. So, <clears throat> so they're fed this stuff, and they are fed it in a way that reminds them as they go out and they pick up all those little bits of manna off the ground. They are thinking to themselves, "God has provided." I was complaining about bread, and God has provided. And when they eat that manna, they think with every bite, "God has provided what I needed. God has provided what I asked for for six days." And then in the sixth day, they go out and get, gather up a double portion because God doesn't provide on the seventh day. God wants them to rest, and God wants them to spend a lot of that day thinking about the fact that that manna is not a natural phenomenon. If it were a natural phenomenon, I could go out and gather today, but it's not. It is bread from heaven. And in fact, that's the way the um, the uh, the uh, psalmist remembers it later on in Psalm uh, 78. He reflects back on it, and he says, He, God commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven, the bread of heaven. Mortals ate the bread of angels. 
He sent them food in abundance. So, so there's this picture. For 40 years, Israel had a chance to reflect uh, with, with every meal, with every bite of every meal, with every morning walking out there and finding some manna. They remembered that God is a God who provided for them. So, what is the lesson for us? The lesson is not to go out and pick up gravel or, or manna. Um, uh, if you see manna, by all means, but make sure it's not gravel or something like that. Um, it's not, it's not that God is going to feed us the same thing. God, you know, as I, as I read through the, the scriptures, literally the only, the only example I can think of of Jesus, uh, performing the same miracle twice is when he, um, when he feeds a multitude. And even there, the, the details differ. So that one time 5,000, 1,000, uh, 4,000. So, so God is not in the habit of repeating himself. So I wouldn't expect this miracle, but there is a lesson here. And the lesson is, when you have problems, when you're anxious, when when you're wondering, is God going to take care of my needs? That's a great time to come near the Lord. That that God is not going to say, what? How dare you? You know, I am God. Instead, come near to the Lord because he's heard your complaints. So so we can do that. We can say, God, God um, was asked for, in a very roundabout way, God was asked for bread and uh, uh, meat, and God provided both of them. So... Um, we can we can um, not be anxious, and we cannot question God's motives. We don't have to we don't have to be anxious about the circumstances of our lives. We don't have to be uh, anxious about uh, COVID and all of the, the the situations that have have resulted from us jumping out of the COVID frying pan into whatever fire we're finding ourselves in. We don't have to be anxious, but but there's there's another lesson here. And it comes from from um, earlier in the passage. I jumped over it because I knew I'd be coming back to it. It says that they looked toward the desert. They were they were remembering fondly the flesh pots of Egypt, the the, the pots cooking meat. They're thinking those are the good old days. But they were told, look toward the desert, and so they did. They looked toward the desert, and just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared for them. So, why did they do that? Why? Why is it when you turn away from Egypt, when you turn toward the desert, that's where they see God? And I think the reason is because deserts are serious places. God does not lure you out into the desert so he can kill you. God lures you out into the desert so that you can see the glorious presence of the Lord. I mentioned how when we lived in Southern California, every year there would be people who would go out to Joshua Tree and a couple of them would die. And they kept coming. Despite the fact that a couple of them died, people kept coming. I was listening to a podcaster a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about, she lives in uh, uh, Southern California, and she said she had to go out to Joshua Tree at least once a year because it's the only place in that crazy, you know, sham world of Hollywood and, you know, Southern California where her feet touched ground, where she could actually relate to the real things of this world because there's so much show business and so much put on in LA that she found that she could actually connect with something real when she went to Joshua Tree that when she got away from all that glitz and glitter that's where she actually encountered the world deserts are serious places god doesn't lure you into them though so he can kill you god lures you into the desert god leads you into the desert because it is a serious place and there you can See God. When you turn away from the flesh pots of Egypt, you might just see the food of angels. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for for this reading and um, the assurance that as we as we find ourselves in free fall, we have we we left the frying pan and we know that there are there there's some kind of a fire below us. Uh, we know that whatever it is, however the circumstances of our lives play out, whatever the 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 pieces that we have to pick up. Um, because of COVID and because of all the other things in our lives, Lord, we are grateful for the lesson that you will provide us, um, not just quail and bread, but you will feed us with the food of angels. Lord, uh, take from us any anxiety we might have. Help us to remember that, that sometimes the deserts are the places where we see you most clearly. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.